in 86. Anna Martin wrote the first book of what became a cult. Now it's time for Babysitter's Club Salut, salut, et bienvenue au club de acteurs de bébés. Je m'appelle Jack Shepard. Je m'appelle Tanner Greenring. Et ça, c'est... Also, un... also, Jack. Yeah. Bon, bon nuit. Bon nuit. It is 11 o'clock at night here in Paris, France. Oh, well, it's f- fucking five in the evening here <laughs> in Brooklyn, New York. I've just been sitting here spinning my wheels for the last five hours after work ended. <laughs> just waiting for Jack to get home so we could record Babysitter's Club. I love that what you do when you go to Paris is that you just like find a little corner somewhere and curl up with the latest uh, Anna Martin. <laughs> just <laughs> Parisians keep walking by and they're like, oh, are you reading Camus? And I'm like, no, it's, it's actually Martin. <laughs> um, you know what, man? I just realized yeah. this. I'm staying on Rue de Martin. Wait, really? Here in Paris. Fucking hell. Well, maybe she's revered over there. Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I'm in a very old part of the city, but I'm sure they renamed the city streets after her. They must do. It's like the cross street is like Victor Hugo's street. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Voltaire <laughs> Avenue. Yeah, Voltaire Avenue, and then Martin. <laughs> Rue de Martin. Um, hello, Baby Nation. Just in case you haven't figured it out yet, uh, I am in Paris this week for work, but as a diligent Babysitter's Club Club host, I packed up a microphone and brought it with me, and now Jack and I are sitting here halfway across the world from one another, and I'm looking at his stupid little face in my phone. Yeah. I'd tell you something. I didn't think I was going to like this, but I feel like you're more engaged with me than normal because you can't fucking look at your phone. And when you do look at your phone, guess what you see? You see my stupid little face. I can look out the window and see beautiful Sacre Corps all lit up on the hill. <laughs> all right. Well, let's not do that. Um, we read a book today. Good one. Yeah, it was pretty good. It was a little weird, though. Something that Anne did, this book that I did think was incredible, was weaving multiple strands from different literary and biblical analogs. Oh, yeah, it's a Don book. Into the text. <laughs> I, I'd like to see you make this happen, man. It's a Don book, but she's boy crazy in this book. She's boy crazy for Jesus. <laughs> no, she's boy crazy <laughs> for a man named Travis. <laughs> That's true. Well, we'll get into the biblical stuff. I'm deeply surprised that you didn't find the obvious biblical stuff in yeah, this Yeah, you book. always are. You always are deeply surprised. And I'm always deeply surprised you can manage to to dig it out of there. <laughs> well, we'll get into that, but first we need to tell the baby nation what happened in this novel. Okay. Um, you know what we do normally when we read these books and talk about them for the baby nation is we describe what happened in the book. Yeah, yeah. You drone on and on and on, and I give a concise 60-second recap. What I would like to do is give Drone a... on and on and on, yeah, and <laughs> I'll do the concise 60-second recap. Great. I'm going to drone on and on and on. I'm going to give a précis as you might say in French. Uh-huh. What's that mean? A 50,000-foot view of what happened in this novel. And then I'm going to put somehow, uh, because my phone, I'm just realizing, is tied up. <laughs> oh, yeah. So maybe we'll have to do this in an analog way. But I'm going to figure yeah. out some kind of a way to put 60 seconds on the big bad clock. Well, let's and- do metric, because I'm here in Europe. Okay. So Let's convert that to metric. Great. That's 60 seconds. <laughs> 
I'm going to put 60 meters uh-huh. on the big bad clock, <laughs> and you are going to fill in the details. Here's the best part, man, is we're not in the same room anymore, so while you're talking, I can just yeah. take off my headphones, get up, and grab a beer. Don't you fucking dare. I'll tell you something. If I see your little face disappear from my little phone for one second, <laughs> wow. He's walking away from the mic, babies and gentlemen. Oh, boy. Did you finish your recap? <laughs> I didn't. Fuck you. Um, I invented a cool thing while you had your headphones off. I said, babies and gentlemen. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, it sounded pretty cool. That is good. Yeah. God, I'm never taking these headphones off again. I miss <laughs> stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know what I want to do? Hit is me. I want to describe what happened in this book. Okay. I'm going to begin now. As a four-sport athlete academic star and a member of five different clubs at Stony Brook High, including the prestigious Latin Club, Travis is all but guaranteed to get attention from the Ivy Leagues when he starts applying to college next year. And with his sandy brown hair, deep blue eyes, and unforgettable smile, he's not exactly lacking in attention from the ladies either. In fact, As long as Travis isn't into something insanely creepy and disturbing, like, say, driving his dark blue Chevy Camaro over to the local middle school on weekdays to pick up 12- and 13-year-old girls, you might just say that Travis is the perfect catch. But he is into that, and he is the grossest catch. (laughs) And that's exactly what this book is about. Yuck. Dawn and the older boy. Look at this guy. I'm going <laughs> to flip my camera around so you can look at this guy. Look at that guy. <laughs> That's cool as hell, man. You just flipped your camera around and I'm looking at Travis right now. Oh, he's, he's so weird. He's like, he looks like he's in his late 20s. Yeah. He's wearing a denim shirt and denim jeans. <laughs> he's wearing a denim shirt and blue jeans that are essentially the same kind of like stonewashed color yeah here i'm gonna the denim a shirt. screenshot real quick okay oh that's cool no like get me in a screenshot oh, i got late. you in the screenshot and then in my little like picture in picture view that shows my face it was just the cover to the babysitters club book we just read what a fucking creep man it's not even just that he's going to stony brook to like pick up 13 year old girls but then he's like shaping them in his image you know, he's like bringing them to the mall to be like, uh, put uh, put these combs in your hair. I think it'll look very, very good. <laughs> yeah, the comb thing was so like Travis meets Dawn at a sleepover. He's over at Sam and Charlie's house, who are Christie's brothers. And Dawn is over for a slumber party and she gets up and she's like, oh, shit, there's a cute older boy. And that's it. That's the entirety of their interaction. Two yep. fucking weeks later, he just, like, shows up in his fucking blue Camaro. Yeah. You know, we say Camaro here in the United States. Sorry, here in France. <laughs> <laughs> he shows up in his fucking blue Camaro, uninvited, and it's just like, hey, Don, I came over to, uh, you know, talk about how I'm on the basketball team. Yeah, hop in. Let's go for a ride. Let's go, for the- Let's go to the mall where I can buy you clothes and jewelry. Ugh, what a fucking creep. The walls in this Airbnb are, like, paper thin. And uh-huh. I can hear everyone in every room around me. <laughs> and they can hear me just shouting at no one <laughs> about, like, 17-year-old boys who, like, pick up 13-year-old girls. <laughs> Good. In English. Yeah. No one's batting an eyelid. They're just like, America. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, all right, I'm going to put 60 seconds on the big bad clock, and what I want you to do is tell me what the fuck happened in this book, Tanner. Okay, let's see if I can remember it. I am going to begin right now. Okay, Baby Nation, there's a new resident in Stony Brook, yet again, because that's what always happens in Stony Brook. Someone weird moves in. He is from California. His name is Travis. He's very handsome. He wears a denim shirt with denim jeans, and he wears a blue car, uh, drives a blue car. <laughs> Good. Uh, he's a real creep. He um, He's way into sports. He does all sorts of sports, but he also likes taking 12 and 13-year-old girls out for um, adventures around Stony Brook. <laughs> Um, he really likes Dawn's eyes. He buys her uh, some hair clips to accentuate her eyes and tries to convince her to get an ear piercing. Um, eventually, Dawn sees him with another girl his own age who's a lifeguard and gets jealous and yells at him and, ab- and ditches him um, and starts to get letters from a cousin of Logan's. That's the A plot. The B plot is that the um, Aussies, the Hobarts, are putting on a play, James Hobart, plus Mariah and Gabby Perkins. And um, that time. Uh, I mean, I pretty much got it out. The one thing additional that I was going to say was that Zach, James's friend, tries to like bully him into being less weird. Yeah. I can tell you one thing that definitely didn't happen in this book. What? Anything biblical. Okay. Should we start with that? <laughs> sure, but then I have a good theory. Actually, let me just No, let's start with your out. fucking theory, man. So we were just talking about Travis. Okay. He's a real creep. We've already been into that. What he seems to like to do, though, is take pretty young women to the mall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he likes to dress them up. Oh. He likes to buy them clothes. Yeah. Buy them dresses, buy them hair clips. He likes to accessorize them. It's almost as if he is playing with them like they are... Like they're little dolls? Like they're giant living dolls. Yeah. Here's a, I just fucking came across this in my notes. I was looking for shit. This is Dawn in the passenger seat of Travis's car when they're going to the mall. I nodded again. I was beginning to feel like one of those doll heads that bob up and down in the back windows of cars. <laughs> Do you think there's a reading of this book whereby Travis is not a creep at all? He's just like a progressive 17-year-old who's playing with his dollhouse? Sure. That's a reading. That's a likely reading. <laughs> yeah. If if you were just a normal dude who went to Stony Brook and like you didn't have the, the veil over your eyes like all of Stony Brook does, and yeah. you come in and you're just suddenly surrounded by... Cat people and ghosts and living dolls. And it's like, you're like, am I the only one who can see this? Like, right. what's happening in the city, you know? And then a living doll shows interest in you. What do you do? You're like, well, I know one thing about dolls. You and it's that they up. like to be dressed up. Yeah. So I guess in order to avoid any conflict. Yeah. I'll just put some combs in its hair and like hope I'll that meet it... this. I'll meet this living doll on its terrain. Yeah. And it ties in with all of the Pygmalion stuff. Oh, yeah. Pygmalion's in this a lot. <laughs> I guess I should read the quote. Marianne sat down at my desk watching me. Did you ever see My Fair Lady, she asked? You know, the movie based on the play Pygmalion. Then I guess you remember the story. You know how proper Professor Higgins turns Eliza Doolittle, the Cockney girl, into his fair lady. Sure, he changed everything about her. The way she walked and talked and even the way she dressed. He wanted to make her into a real lady. Marianne stared at me. Well, she said slowly, I never liked that. So, this is... Something that Anna Martin has on her mind, and she specifically references that it's based on Pygmalion. You know what? Yeah. I think My Fair Lady, and by extension Pygmalion, mm-hmm. lifted that plot yeah. from 
Pretty Woman with uh, Richard Gere and Julia Roberts. Cool. I think Ovid was probably uh, in second century. So when I don't know who Ovid is. Let's move on. When did uh, Pretty, Pretty Woman, Woman come out? Come out? I think in the late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. So Ovid, who wrote The Metamorphoses, mm-hmm. in which the story of Pygmalion. No, that's Kafka, you dumb idiot. <laughs> You're so close and yet so far. <laughs> so the story of Pygmalion in The Metamorphoses obviously has a huge yeah. resonance with this text. Okay. Would you want to tell me about it? Because I obviously have no idea what that is. Um, sure. A a man named Pygmalion I'm listening. shuns all of the ladies in his town because they are full of vice. Nature has given the female disposition only too often these vices, he says. Sounds like a real meninist. Well, he's <laughs> yeah, he's he's a questionable type of dude. He's a Travis okay. he's a kind of a Travis type of dude. Uh yeah. but Instead of trying to just, like, expand his dating pool, he decides to build a statue that he of does the with? most beautiful woman. He does it with a statue. That's the, that's the end uh, of it. But it's, this is straight from the metamorphosis. That's like, that's like uh, Copiera. Well, let me, let me read this to you because here's what happens. He builds a statue and he falls in love with it because he's like, this is the perfect statue. He pays her compliments and brings her presents, such as girls love smooth pebbles, winding shells, little pet birds flowers with a thousand colors, lilies and painted balls and lumps of amber. He decks her limbs with dresses and her fingers wear rings which he puts on and he brings a necklace and earrings and a ribbon for her bosom. That's literally what Pygmalion does with this. His name is Pygmalion? Okay. So that's obviously a parallel. Yeah, that's obviously a parallel because that's what Travis does in this book, right? He brings her necklaces. He brings her earrings. uh, He tries to make her into something that is the ideal of a woman in Stony Brook. And I would love to come back and talk more about Pygmalion because there's just a lot in there. And it's obvious that Anna Martin wanted us to engage with that particular text. But what I found surprising and impressive and incredible in this nested structure that she's built in Dawn and the Older Boy is how she intertwines that with all of this biblical stuff, all of this stuff from Matthew. (laughs) Okay, tell me about it. You want to get right into it? I guess. Good, because I certainly do. Um, actually, you know what? Let's talk about the date that Don and Travis go on. Okay. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but Don and Travis do four things on their date. Uh-huh. Um, they go to the mall. First thing, they, they go to the mall and they hit the surf and sail, right? Yep. It's like an outdoors store, outdoor sports. Right. Okay. So the next thing they do after they hit the surf and sail is they go to Burger Bite. Okay. Right? Sure. They hit up the Burger Bite. I started for the car, but he grabbed my elbow and steered me toward the Burger Bite. So Travis takes Dawn to this fucking burger place, and Dawn is, like, terrified that she's going to have to eat food that she can't eat and doesn't want to eat and is, like, against her code, you know? Yep. Then they go to the ear-piercing part. Yeah, they go to the ear-piercing place next, and Travis buys her these fucking beautiful earrings. And he tries to convince her to to punch more holes in her flesh. She says, I'll wear them under the stars. Um, No, Travis said flatly. You should wear them up higher. Why doesn't he punch a hole in his own fucking ear? He's Travis. Well, I, I would like to punch a hole in his ear. Yeah, I'd like to punch a hole in his face. <laughs> Good. I guess ear is part of a face. Yeah, yeah. I get, what we're saying is we would both like to pierce Travis's ears. Yeah. 
So, and the final thing that he does before he fucking takes her home on this nightmare date is he tells her all about his exploits on the football team and how he's been asked to be on the swim team and the tennis team and he's in, like, the Latin club and he's just obviously the best fucking dude in all of Stony Brook High. Yep. Are you seeing where I'm going here now? No, I'm still still in the dark. Have you read Matthew? No. I mean, probably years ago, but... I'm just going to walk you through it. Okay. We got to move on. <laughs> okay. I mean, I can Google it right No, quick. no, it's fine, man. I got it. I got it. I've got it right Matthew. here. No, don't Google. Don't Google. Matthew McConaughey? <laughs> you just Googled Matthew? Yeah. <laughs> No, no, no. Jack, I obviously know what Matthew's about. I was just joking before. It's, it's a, the first book in the New Testament. It's a narrative. It tells how uh, the Messiah, Jesus, rejected by Israel, Great. finally sent the disciples to preach the gospel to the whole wow, world. Wow, it sounds like you got that memorized. Do you want to read to me Matthew 4, 1 to 11, please? Oh, man, do I? Matthew 4, 1 to 11. From the King James Version of the Holy Bible. Yep. Written by Jesus Christ and God. By Matthew. Yeah. <laughs> As dictated by God. <laughs> then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Okay, so he went to like an outdoors store. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterwards... And hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. He took him to the burger bite. If you've been reading the New American Version, that's what yeah, it would say. It would have said burger he said, bite. If you're really the Son of God, let's go to the burger bite. You're going to make these stones into bread. I guess coins are like stones, huh? Yeah. Travis gives the person at burger bite some coins. Yes. Yeah. And, yeah. And they get a grilled cheese sandwich. But he answered and said, It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. What does Don do? She says, you know what, Travis? I'm not going to eat your fucking burgers. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple. This is famous. This is the temptation in the wilderness. The next thing that Satan does is he takes Don, I mean Jesus, good, good cover, up to the temple and says, you know what? We got to get it up to the pinnacle. Put that earring at the highest spot. You should wear them up higher. Pierce yourself higher. And what does Don say? Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Yeah. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceedingly high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and saith unto him, all of these things I shall give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. If thou wilt fall down and worship me. If you will just get down on your knees and say, you know what? You're the captain of the basketball team. You got sandy blonde hair. You got an unforgettable smile. You wear that cool jean shirt with jeans. (laughs) Those stonewashed jeans match your shirt exactly, so it looks like you're wearing this like wave of bluish white (laughs) all over your It's like a a wave of bluish white (laughs) denim is crashing down upon me. In this way that somehow just looks really good to everyone in the 80s. Okay, so fine. That's one passage from... This is a book that is about Dawn being tempted. She's being tempted. 
I think she's being controlled. Go to the burger bite. If you're so fucking great, just eat this food that I'm giving to you. And she's like, nope, I don't need it because the food of my life is in my spirit. Okay. Why not put your earrings at the highest pinnacle of your ear and the third piercing all the way up the top? Right. Above the stars. I don't need to because I trust in the Lord. Who's the Lord? Just fall- Jesus, Tanner. Sometimes a metaphor actually kind of collapses into a real thing. <laughs> I don't think you can pull this off. I think that is one passage. Grinch. You've you've cherry picked one passage from the Bible, and you've cherry picked one passage from this book, Great. and you've made a loose connection. <laughs> I am not convinced of the divinity of this text yet. Ooh, church bells are literally ringing right now. It's beautiful. It must be midnight. Let's see, it's the church bells at... Should I not triangulate? Well, you could triangulate to your Airbnb in Paris, because if Baby Nation tries to find you, you'll be all the way back home. I'll actually be in Minnesota next week. Okay. I'm flying from Paris to Minnesota. Jesus, I'm sorry for your life. Man, I can't believe that that exact parallel with Jesus' temptation in the wilderness and the, Dawn's date... It's the Église Saint-Laurent. It's painful to listen to you try to speak French. That's the church. That's that's bells are ringing. That's lovely. It is un block south of Gadelest. Oh Jesus! <laughs> Have you met any French witch hunters while you're out there? Um, I've been asking everyone I pass, but so far no one has admitted it. <laughs> are you a witch hunter? Chasser les witch. <laughs> I don't want to dwell too much on the religious stuff in this book because there are other things to talk about. But the subplot of this book is literally a morality play. The play that James Hobart has written. Right. Starring the Perkins girls. Well, starring the dog, Chewy. Yeah, that's true. It's a play that our kind of fan favorite, James Hobart. Yeah, James Hobart. <laughs> Australian emigre. Best friends of Susan whatever her name was. James Hobart is kind of muscled into ditching his Australian accent, Jack. James is pressured by Zach to ditch his Australian accent because it's not and He's cool. thinking, he's about, thinking it. about it. What I'm saying is, Jack, I'd love for you to go back to your English accent. <laughs> Be who you are, man. That scared 13-year-old Jack who forced himself to have an American accent all those years mm-hmm. ago, he's gone, man. He's dead. You're a confident man, Jack, now. Mm-hmm. And you should speak in a British accent. I think that the novelty of that would wear off pretty quickly, and you would stop liking it. You and everyone else in my life. Mm, I don't think so, man. Uh, I'll speak in my newfound French accent. Oh God, no! All the please time. fucking don't. Um, <laughs> among other things, I would have too much like authority. If I spoke in a British accent, you'd be afraid to interrupt me. I'm an American. I have zero fear of British. A people. lot of what makes this podcast work would stop working if I was suddenly speaking to you in an English accent with all of the gravitas and all of the authority that that entails. You'd have to pay it's attention. Just you speaking for extended amounts of times and me responding, yes, sir. That's the entire yeah, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> hi, hi, and welcome to the Babysitter's Club Club. Yes, sir. <laughs> Good. I like that a lot. Let's fucking do that. <laughs> what were we talking about? What were we, we talking, were talking about, about medieval morality plays. <laughs> Oh, great. Yep. Listen, there is a play within a play in this book. and I know what a morality play is. It's like the passion plays, it's right? It's like every man. Okay. Like back in the Middle Ages, little troops of actors would tour around with plays where they would kind of act out either scenes from the Bible or things that sort of reified the traditional Christian morality of the time. Okay. The play that James Hobart writes 
that is the play within the play of this book uh-huh. uh, is a play about a lost soul, Chewie, seeking his master. God. Well, you can, I mean, this is the thing about allegory, right? Maybe it's someone else, but probably God. Satan? No. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> probably God. It is the play that J- James writes, Chewie goes to the mall. And he goes to the shoe store, and he goes to the shoe store owner, and they're like, oh, we're looking for Chewie's owner. Are you the owner? And the shoe store owner is like, nope. Then that's Mariah. And then he yep. goes to the pizza store, and the pizza store owner is like, I'm not your master. No, I'm not your master. I'm just a pizza I'm man. I'm just a pizza man. The play never ends in the book. No, it barely starts. It's kind of a bad play. We never get to the end of the play in this book, but here is a fucking line that stood out to me. In the chapter that describes the babysitting experience that Jessie has, where the play uh-huh. is first put on for her, Dawn says the following to us, the reader. Jessie's babysitting job with the Hobarts turned out to be one of the best afternoons of her life. Of Jessie's life. Of Jessie's life. That's pretty weird, right? We watched the beginning of this play that is about a lost soul seeking its master. What does that mean, though? Like, what did Jesse see? What did she experience? What did she that see? Made this... I don't know, man. They don't go over it in the text. They don't go over it in the text. The dog's looking for its master. Does it find it? I don't know. Does Chewie find his master? You think Jesse got a little bit more out of this book than everyone else there? I think so. Or a little bit more out of this play than everyone else Seek, there. and ye shall find, Tanner. Okay. Seek. I don't want to seek. Okay. I'm good. I'm good here. Good. All right, well, here's what I would like for you to do. Uh, let's talk about some other shit. Great. Let's see. Um, Travis is a weirdo. He's always dressing girls up. Don has clairvoyance. Oh, toxic masculinity is all over this book. Uh, wait, Don has clairvoyance? Yeah, that's what I've written you, here. That just um, apropos of nothing? Well, let's check it out, huh? <laughs> okay, here's the passage where I wrote down that Don has clairvoyance. It's the beginning of chapter four. Have you ever had a funny feeling that something exciting was going to happen to you? That's how I felt during the next few days, except I wasn't sure if it was going to be wonderful exciting or awful exciting. Once, I just knew that I was going to have an exciting day, and that was the day that Claudia broke her leg. Oh, fuck. So it's better not to get your hopes up too high when this feeling hits you. She knew that Claudia was going to break her leg, and she didn't do anything about it? Right. She she has The Shining, and The Shining was, like, triggering in her this weekend. And who knows what she was foreseeing. It could have been Travis dumping her. Yeah. It could have been Jesse finding the higher meaning in this world. Yeah. Um, here's a note I wrote down on um, page 74. I wrote, this book should be called Dawn and the Struggle with Male Oppression. <laughs> Good. She goes through all this shit with Travis, like trying to dress her, trying to control her. And then at some point, like all the young girls of Stony Brook sort of like, wait, no, that's not true. That's a movie I watched on the flight out here. Whoa. (laughs) What was the movie? I watched a movie called Neighbors 2, Rise of the Sorority. Okay. And conflated it in my mind very briefly with this book that I read last week. <laughs> You're like all the young girls of Stony Brook are doing these keg stands. They're partying to like fight male oppression. It's like, <laughs> no, wait, that was the plot of a movie. A dumb movie I watched on a plane. Good. 
Um, so she goes out with Travis. He dresses her. He tells her what to wear. Um, he tries to control every aspect of her life. And then she comes home, and it turns out that Marianne has tattled on her and told. Fucking Marianne. Jesus Christ, Marianne. Dawn gets, like, fucking pissed off at Marianne. And then, like, eventually she's like, I guess Marianne literally is incapable of just saying, I don't know where Dawn is. Right. She couldn't lie if she wanted to. She would, like, make up the wrong kind of lie. She'd be like, oh, Dawn um, died. She got hit by a car and died. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm sorry I didn't tell you earlier. Yeah. Marianne, fucking get it together. No, it's endearing. Yeah. She's incapable of lying. Yeah. So anyway, they explode at her. Richard's furious. He's 16 and you're only 13? Yeah. What could you possibly have in common? He yells. And then later on in that argument, Sharon kind of softens a little bit. Don says, I really do want to see him again. And Sharon says, I know you do, honey. And I'm sure that once we meet him, we'll feel differently. Mm-hmm. You mean you're going to let her continue to see him? Richard exploded. I can't believe you're serious. Like, this guy's just coming down everywhere he can. Yeah. You know? He's trying to put a leash on Dawn. He's trying to put a leash on Sharon. I'm over this dude. He's got these authoritarian impulses. And it's like Dawn is suffering the weird, smarmy, gross version of male oppression from Travis. And then she gets the authoritarian version of that from her new stepdad on the other side. Like, what's a girl to do? There's just no winning for her. Fucking Travis does his thing in his book. What's that? Stop fucking yawning. It's like fucking it's 6 19. <laughs> it's 12 30. I'm so tired. <laughs> your jet lag should be working in your favor. Travis does a thing that I identified with, but also see how shitty it is. Dawn calls him up and she's just like crying. He obviously hasn't thought about her in two weeks because he's dating this girl, Sarah. Yeah. And she's like, you, you don't want me for who I am. And he's like, uh. I didn't think you were overreacting. <laughs> yeah, he just keeps saying, like, you're really blowing this out of proportion. Like, you're really making a big just, deal like, of nothing. He's like, gets super here. uncomfortable. He's like, hey, can we talk more about how I'm on the tennis team? Yeah, he really shuts her down emotionally. Huh? Yeah, and it, what I've learned and the journey that I went through in this book is that's kind of fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, man. I guess, uh, you know, denying someone else their emotions is, is probably pretty well, bad. Well, I huh? know that now. You didn't know that before? You're almost 40. (laughs) He does a lot of bad shit, man. Here, let me just read this passage. We could probably have talked about cars a little more, but Travis abruptly changed the subject. So tell me, how do you like Stony Brook Middle School? (laughs) That's already... If you say that as a line, dudes of Baby Nation out there, baby boys out there, if you ever find yourself saying as a line, as a pickup line, how are you enjoying middle school? (laughs) You've made a bad Take choice. Take a fucking step back. That's bad. You're doing something fucking yeah. awful. It's not too late it's, to just get it's up not and walk too late away to, from that like, conversation. Yeah, just, just walk away, man. Get back in your fucking Camaro. Fucking start the engine and drive off and never look back because that's bad. You're in a bad fucking place. Anyway, sorry. I cut you off. Oh, I think it's great. I began. All my friends are the... That's nice. He cut in. <laughs> I make friends easily, too. A lot of people think it's tough to change schools, but not for me. I make friends wherever I go. Yeah. You know what we call that, Jack, in 2016? We call that a manterruption. Wait, really? Yeah. That's new to me. That's a new one for me. That's a real plague to young women, Yeah, is that they are constantly being interrupted by men who feel that they know more than them. Is it possible to manterrupt 
in order to mansplain something. I think it's like owning an illegal handgun so that you can shoot someone. <laughs> yeah. Like they kind of go hand okay. in hand. Like owning an illegal handgun is pretty bad, but then shooting someone's bad too. Okay. So I think they're kind of partners in crime. You know what I would call it? I would call it a him interruption. Why is that? Well, because man is not an assonance with in, but him it does assonate with in. How about interrupt man? <laughs> Good. Okay. <laughs> Good. All right. <laughs> I I think we got it to get, we got there together. <laughs> anyway, Dawn is just she's she's fighting a war on masculinity on every front in this book. And then there's this other boy at the end. Lewis. I don't know what to make of Lewis, to be honest. Dawn has been confronted by all these bad men throughout this entire book, trying to control her, trying to tell her how to live her life. Yeah. And then Lewis comes along. And here's the thing, I don't think Lewis is good for Dawn, man. Yeah. But because he's not trying to control her, because he's not trying to like live her life for her, she's like smitten with him. Yeah, he's Lewis seems cool. He's trying his fucking hardest. I like the fact that he's a Bruno. That's even more dangerous, Jack. Yeah, the fact that he's a Bruno makes me worry about him. Um, I've got something about Lewis, and even though this is going to take me one second to say, I can't say it without introducing the segment that it refers to. So let's just get that out of the fucking way. And this, this segment that Baby Nation will be familiar with is a segment that is called <gasps> Bird of the Week! Oh, my neighbors, my poor neighbors, it's 12.30 in the morning. <laughs> They're like, Bird of the Week? <laughs> de, de la semaine? <laughs> It's the city of lights, you know. No one sleeps here. Oh, man, I can't wait for your like Airbnb reference. Yeah, three stars for Tanner. Where it's like, uh, he was a model guest. He kept everything clean. He got there on time. He left on time. Uh, the neighbors did complain about him yelling "burn of the week" at one o'clock in the morning <laughs> at the top of his voice. I don't know what that is. No, but they're fine. It really upset a lot of people. They're all down at La Tabac. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, ready? Here's my bird of the week. It's super fast. Okay. Uh, Lewis yep. is five foot ten. That's uh-huh. a burn on me. <laughs> okay, because he's a little he's boy. He's thirteen years old. <laughs> I'm five eight and three quarters, and I like wear that three quarters with pride. <laughs> I just read that, and I had to go back and read it again. Dom was like, "Lewis seems cute. He's five ten. He has brown hair." I was like, "Wait a second. Five ten, that little fucking thirteen year old little asshole towers over me. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't feel too bad. Five ten is like unnaturally tall for a thirteen year old. I mean, I was taller than five ten when I was thirteen, but yeah. well, that's it. I'm a tall. So the man. thing about it, it's like if I now met thirteen year old you, and we've talked about this in previous podcasts, I in my mind think that I would not get along with thirteen year old you, Great. but. He would just like tower over me. Yeah, I think I was six foot when I was thirteen. Jesus. Um, can I tell you my burn of the week? Please. So Dawn, in a fit of jealous rage, stalking Travis and his new girlfriend Sarah around Stony Brook, decides to confront him, and she goes to the little like rotating kiosk where the earrings are, and sets herself up so that when he spins the kiosk, he cannot help but look her in the eyes. Which is pretty cool. 
it turns out it doesn't work because Travis doesn't seem to give a shit about Don. He's like, oh, hey, Don. Yeah, he's just like, oh, hey, how's it going? Mm -hmm. And like his new girlfriend is right there with him. And she's like, oh, hi, Travis. I guess you come here a lot, huh? Yeah. And he's like, "Uh he like nudges his girlfriend. He's like, "Uh uh-huh, guess I do. (laughs) So like none of her hooks are getting in. The girlfriend, for her part, is not paying attention to this conversation whatsoever. She does not see Don as a threat because Don is a 13-year-old girl. And she holds up a pair of earrings to Travis and says, What do you think, Travis? Are these too big? I couldn't resist. Yes, definitely too big. They look like they should be holding up shower curtains. (laughs) Sarah frowned and gave Travis a, Who is this person look? As he introduced us. Yeah. Don is from California. <laughs> Travis, Travis at that moment. So look at this from Sarah's point of view, if you can. Nobody's a fan of Travis here, but Sarah is kind of an innocent actor. She's like his girlfriend. Yeah. Imagine that you are at the fucking merry-go-round in the Stony Brook Mall with your boyfriend, and you turn to him and you say, hey, what do you think about these earrings? And then some like random fucking middle school girl that you've never fucking met turns to you and goes, they look like they could be holding up shower curtains. <laughs> They're bad earrings, and you look bad. What would you fucking say? And this is like a sign of guilt. If I were Sarah at this point, I'd be like, all right, dude, we're done. Instead of being like, who the fuck are you? He says, uh, Don is from California, too. Right. (laughs) Sarah kind of burns her back, because she says, oh, I remember. This is Don Schaefer, that little girl you told me about. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, Though, if you read that in a weird light for Travis, he's like, I know this little girl. (laughs) He tells his new girlfriend about all the little girls he meets, I guess. Fucking Travis, dude. Travis, fuck you, man. Not a fan. Um, But what do you think? Uh, Lewis Lewis and Don? Not into it. She's fleeing to the nearest safe harbor. Like, this was dumped in her lap. Like, Marianne set up this blind date. Marianne sets up this blind date, and then, like, this, like, beautiful epistolary romance blossoms. They don't even have that much in common. He hates health food. Yeah. He's super into celeb culture, and she's not into celebs at all. He's attentive to her, right? Like, he cares about Dawn as Dawn. And he says some cool fucking shit to her. He says in the last letter he writes to her, I liked hearing about California. I guess that you were into health foods. That's one right answer. And that you wanted to be an actress. That's one wrong answer. That gives me a score of 50. Let's hope I do better on the test tomorrow. Guess it's time to hit the books. That's cool, man. Like he's studying for a test yeah. and the test is dawn. That's cool as hell. Yeah, he's also s- literally studying for a test. No, yeah. Dear Don, this will have to be short as I have a math test. Yeah, but y- you're the test. You're a test of love. And I'm going to hit the books. Yeah. I'm going to hit the books and study dawn. Ugh, you think gross. Travis would ever say that? <laughs> Travis wouldn't bother, man. The girl's like that. What you just said made my whole body shudder. Exactly. And that is something Travis would say. I'm going to study you. Travis would say something that... <laughs> I'm going to study you tonight. I hope I pass the test that is you. This pizza sounds fucking good. She describes a pizza. <laughs> okay. She says, we, of course we have pizza parlors in Stony Brook. Do you know that I found a place that sells vegetarian pizza? It has stir-fried snow peas and broccoli on it. Wait, that's real? That sounds so good. Stir-fried snow peas on a pizza? That's like fucking innovative. That's like... Can you imagine how good that would be? Like a teriyaki stir-fried snow pea on yeah, a pizza? But what you're saying to me right now sounds like... If I like had my brain cryogenically frozen and woke up a thousand years from now... Yeah, God willing. God willing. 
that's what I would expect to be greeted with. Like, hey, congratulations, Mr. Shepard. It's the year 3016. Yeah. Would you like some pizza with stir-fried snow peas? And I would be like, oh, yes, of course, that makes sense. It's not alien from my right. experience, but it's something that I never could have thought of. Right. All cultures have culminated in this perfect future, this utopian future. Yeah. The best of all cuisines. Right. But that's happening already, man. That's happening on this mortal plane. But like Maybe. Like 20 years ago. If that had existed as a possibility, we would know about it. That's some shit that came out of Anne M. Martin's brain. She's seen the fucking I think pizza. in the early 90s, we were doing some pretty fucked up shit with pizza. I think pizza was pretty big in the early 90s, and we were just throwing everything at the wall and seeing what stuck. Well, how did that not stick, man? Stir-fried snow I don't know. peas? Are you fucking kidding me? That's amazing. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Well, let's start a pizza restaurant. It'll be called... I want to do a pun with pizza that has to do with Stony Brook. Jenny Pizziosa. <laughs> Jenny Pizziosos. That's the best I could come up with in a pinch. Uh, little Miss Slicey Brook. That's not bad. No, it's bad. That's so bad. Marianne Saves the Dough. <laughs> Marianne Saves the Dough is good. Marianne in the Search for Pizza. <laughs> <laughs> Mallory in the Mystery Pizza. If that's all we're doing, we can just swap out Cla- Claudia and the Sad Pizza. This is good. Christy in the Secret of Pizza. We've got it, man. Jesse Ramsey, pet pizza. <laughs> we got to stop. This is a disaster. Damn. <sighs> uh, looks like we're wrapping up here, my friend. I have 15 minutes until I have to hang up. Okay, good. Well, let's eke out those last 15 minutes. Um, I guess we should give the Baby Nation an update on the Wandering Frog People game. Oh, should we? Yeah, should we? So what's currently the score? There's, let's see, 7.5 billion winners and one loser. Who's the one loser? It's Jack Shepard. Yeah, it's you. I'm the loser. Because what happened, Jack? What happened? Well, uh, you, Tanner Greenring, went out and Uh you bought a wandering frog person figurine on eBay. Looks like a Ninja Turtles character. Yeah, it's Bucky O'Hare. Okay, that's a Bucky O'Hare character. That's for some of our older listeners. Yeah, he's like a little frog man. The frog man from Bucky O'Hare, and he looks like a wandering frog person. And you slipped it onto my person. Yes, I did. Yep. You, you hit it in my bike glove. Unexpectedly. Unexpectedly. I went to put my bike glove on, and I was like, there's a frog in here. <laughs> so now there is one loser. And now I own it. There's one person in the world, Baby Nation, who's losing wandering frog people, yeah. and his name is Jack it's Shepard. me. And I count myself among you, the winners of the game, Baby Nation. And I want Baby Nation to know that when I play a game like this, I don't play it by half measures. You're not going to yeah. come back to your desk and find... The frog in your desk? Yeah. You're going to get that fucking frog in some way that you least expect. I'm, like, not going to be feeling well, and I'm going to go to the doctor, and they're going to do, like, an x-ray, and they're going to be like, you have some kind of frog figurine lodged in your colon. (laughs) exactly. All right, here's the new game that Anna Martin has created. Okay. (laughs) Let's have a rehearsal, Mariah suggested. That's my favorite thing to do in the whole world. A rehearsal, Jesse said blankly. I was thinking of playing, I packed my grandmother's trunk. <laughs> and she was immediately outvoted. Yeah. So another new game, another new game to ruminate on, another new game to drill down on the mechanics for. I mean, maybe 
Pack my grandmother's trunk is just when you take the wandering frog people and like you turn it on your own family. Oh, you think this is a sub game within Wandering Frog yeah. People, and Jesse is currently losing Wandering Frog People right. and needs to pass the burden on yeah, to someone else. Yeah, so it's else. part of the same game, right? It's a mechanic inside Wandering Frog People, which we're going to need to incorporate into our game, right? Where it's like, I have the Wandering Frog person for too long. I can choose the option of, I'm going to pack my grandmother's trunk okay. with the frog person. Okay, <laughs> and, they're, and they're losing now. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like a way to take the frog out of the game for an extended period of right. time because you're going to send it to your grandma she's not going to know what to do <laughs> yeah, with it yeah and so it's not she's going to like put it on a shelf yeah. she's not losing no she's losing you send that frog to your grandma she's losing the game okay so you pack your grandma's trunk it's like a cowardly out where it's like i can't figure out a way to get the fucking frog person onto your person so i'm going to yeah. send it to someone who loves me more than anyone else in the world and they're going to hold on to it for a while and they're going to be the fucking loser while I figure out what I need to do. I'm packing my grandma's trunk. Yeah, I'm going to pass this burden on until I come up with a good... Yeah. Like, I'm not going to have the frog, right. so I can't claim to be the loser, right. but I'll I'll know where the frog yeah. is. That's a good uh, tactic. And you want to know what's a fucking super good tactic? Is what's you that? can pack the other person's grandma's trunk. You send the frog person oh, to yeah. their grandma, which is like worse than them getting the frog. Someone they love more than anyone else in the world. Is now losing wandering frog yeah. people. I fully expected to get here to Paris and open my suitcase yeah. and find a wandering frog person. <laughs> I wouldn't have known how you did it. Be ready. Be aware. <laughs> be vigilant. Be fucking vigilant, my friend, because it's happening. This game is okay, on. I'm not, I'm not afraid of you. Okay. You have no power over me. Great. Um, Got anything else you want to talk about over there in Paris at 1 o'clock in the morning? Nope. I, sh- I should just go to bed, maybe. This... Okay. You got anything else you want to talk about over there in Brooklyn at 6 o'clock in the evening? No, I want to talk about dinner, but nice. not with you. Oh. Sorry. That feels, That's that okay. feels rude. We can, talk. can I just watch you and Sarah eat dinner over FaceTime? Yeah, I'll leave the phone on. Sarah's going to fucking love that. <laughs> <laughs> you can, like, mute me. Yeah. I'll just sit and watch. We will eventually just watch you sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> um, Listen. Yes. This has been another episode of the Babysitter's Club Club. I Club. Hmm? You didn't get in at the beginning, so you need to get in at the end. You're the one who used to go to yeah. bed, my friend. Club. 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 Yeah. Club. I have been Jack Shepard. I have been Tanner Greenring. This week we read Dawn and the Older Boy. Next week we are reading a little book called A Christie's Mystery Admirer. A little housekeeping. We are going to be on another podcast as guest stars. You stepping out on me? You stepped out on us as well. We both stepped out on us together. Are we in an open podcast relationship, Jack? <laughs> I don't know. Why don't we discuss this before now? Why are we discussing this now in front of the baby nation? I mean, why didn't we discuss it when we both obviously together were in a podcast relationship with another podcast? Oh, it just it it hurts me so much to hear you say it. <laughs> Listen, I feel like you are exactly as complicit in this as I am. We are going to be on the podcast called What Should I Read Next? Yes. On the 16th, which is last week. Oops. Oh, I see. We were on a podcast called What Should I Read Next? Last week. It's already out there yeah. in the world. If you are one of the lucky baby bees who listens to both of these podcasts already you're gonna get a, a double dose of us yeah and you probably already heard it because it came out last friday yeah. it was probably pretty good felt good yeah. felt, felt good at the time 
Yeah, it felt good to record it, yeah. Also, I think you can probably go to their website and see dumb little baby pictures of dumb little baby Jack and dumb little baby Tan. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely worth checking out their website for dumb little baby pictures of us. You sent, you cheated and sent a baby picture of you when you were like eight years old. You're probably like five foot ten, towering over yeah. the baby picture of me, who's actually a baby. It's all I could find. Yeah. It's a good pic of me, too. I look like a little dope. Yeah. yeah. You got these big, goofy glasses and this stupid grin. Yep, mm-hmm. Not a lot has changed. Nope. I just got older and gained a lot of weight. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to have been on a podcast called What Should I Read Next? You should check that out if you haven't already. I've been Jack Shepard. You've been Tanner Greenring. This has been another episode of the Babysitter's Club Club. Claudia. Club. Don't you dare. <laughs> Claudia is wearing a bra now, and the way she talks, you would think that boys had just been just sitting there in your little french world i can't hear you because i don't have my headphones in i'm just talking this is what it's like when someone doesn't have their fucking headphones in it's it's intense, right? You can you can say anything you fucking want, and I can't hear you. <laughs> what are you expressing? I don't know. What's going on? Are you talking? You're not saying anything. <laughs> it's pretty wild, huh?